This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara ong I'm Logan Ziegler, Program Coordinator at JMU Civic. This is Abraham Goldberg, Director of JMU Civic and Faculty Member in the Department of Political Science here at James Madison University. As part of our September 11th at 20 series, we talk with Sean Party, who began his military career in 1995 when he enlisted as an artillery crewman and was stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. In 2000, he enlisted into the Virginia Army National Guard and attended James Madison University. After graduation from JMU in 2005 with degrees in integrated science and technology, Sean was commissioned into the Armor Branch. He was deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, as well as to Afghanistan. We invite you to respond and engage in the conversation with us via social media. You can tweet at us at JMU Civic or join us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Enjoy the episode. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters. Um, We'd like to start by asking you why you joined the military. And this next question actually comes from Colonel Nick Swain, who asked whether or not you realized what you were getting into when you joined the ROTC at JMU. Thank you, Kara. Uh, uh, First, I'll just say thank you for this opportunity for me to speak to my alma mater and then also share some experiences, which, uh, you know, the foundation of some of those did did start at, at JMU. It, it was a big chapter in my life, uh, the relationships I made and, and, and what I learned. Um, so going back, you asked why I joined the military. So for me, this really goes back uh, to to actually when I was in high school, probably a junior. Or so a um, little, little atypical from from the cohort at ROTC, you know, I joined the Army right after high school and did four years in the Army and then gotten out um, and started college while I joined the National Guard. And then after I earned my associates down the road at Blue Ridge Community College, I transferred up to JMU uh, into the ISAP program. Uh, so all, all that meant was is that I experienced a, a few years of the military um, and, and I was I was a little bit older in life experiences, not not much, but just just a little. So it gave me um, somewhat of a perspective. So going back to the question is um, why? So uh, all being fair, um, I was a C student in high school, um, and you know I, I wasn't I wasn't going to be able to play uh, collegiate sports. Uh, so and my my father being the way he was, uh, he said, well. If you go to college, you can stay here at the house. Um, if you work, you can stay here, but you have to pay rent um, and or you can go into the military. So um, the military is the route I went. Um, so understanding what, what I got into. Uh, so the military I joined was, you know, a lot of the veterans were from Desert Storm, from the Cold War. Uh, so what that meant is we had been training a, a professional two decades of time on how to fight. And we saw the implications of that in, in Desert Storm. Very quick, very successful. Uh, and so that meant that we had a, I won't say a narrow focus, but we definitely knew the task that lay ahead of us. Um, and those had been known through generations of 
generations in the army, which are are very short compared to when you think of generations in family. So uh, 10 years could be considered uh, a generation uh, in the army because of the way you progress through ranks uh, before you get up to more of, uh, of start to get into the um, a higher a higher echelon. Um, definitely within 20 years, that encompasses some careers. So I knew what I was getting into from, from that perspective. When you train uh, and you fight, I understood the different uh, responsibilities and authority and accountability as you would go through uh, the su- succeed through the ranks. And in particular, what that meant for an officer, uh, which is what the product that, that our great ROTC department put out at, at JMU. Um, so in general, yes, my frame of reference was older than 2001, but generally I knew what, what I was getting into uh, when I joined uh, when I joined the Army and then also when I joined ROTC at, at JMU. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? And what do you remember most about how that day changed you? So I remember exactly where I was at. Uh, I can't remember the title of the class. I want to say it was government or something along those lines. Um, but the teacher was Colonel Retired LeWayne. Um, I think he was about 70. He was in his early 70s. Uh, I remember he was a veteran of the Korean War, Vietnam War, and had retired a number a number of years ago. Um uh, and he was just, if you define a patriot, it's people like Lieutenant Colonel or Colonel Retired LeWayne. Uh, so I remember sitting in his class and, and the we've been getting uh, updates through the news. And I believe he switched it on to the TV, one of, one of the prime news networks. And then we we started we started talking about it. And I'll never forget. He's the first one I heard the name Ben Laden from. He said he thought it was him. And, you know, I was only, uh, I think I was 22 at the time. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about Bin Laden, their terrorist network or anything. Um, but what I remember about that day is, you know, kind of the enormity of it struck me. It happened here in the homeland. And um, the way it affected me was, you know, I, I think the best phrase to describe it that went through my mind was not on my watch. You know, um, I was just, you know, I, I was angry. Um, I just, I wanted to do, wanted to do something um, about it. And uh, I remember after that sitting outside, we, we had some type of break and looking at the planes flying through the sky and, you know, here I'm sitting in community college and, you know, the most powerful nation in the world looking up and we shouldn't have to worry about any of these things. And I just I felt like it was it was my call to to, to do something. Um, and then after that, I remember I'd been out of active duty maybe a year and a half. So this was 2001. I got out a little more than a year and a half and I was in the National Guard. And I, I knew the National Guard wasn't going to go anywhere immediately. And I went to I went back to the recruiter's office that day and I just asked him, you know, what what are my options? What can I do right now? Um, and the options weren't that great. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't what I was asking for. 
uh, there'd be um, some, I'd get demoted in rank, uh, likely wouldn't go where I wanted to go to make a difference. So it just, it wasn't the right path. Um, so I, I can, I wasn't stifled. I just knew I'd made a better decision and I just kind of continued forward after that with that same frame of mind, you know, just, you know, not on my watch. You were deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan as an armored officer. Can you share your experiences serving in the global war on terror and your deployments? How did those experiences impact you? Wow, that is a large question. Yeah, I'll do my best. I'll do my best to answer that. Um, so, first, I'll see like um, I guess empathy. Right. So, you know, kind of when you're young and you think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, um, you know, you might still be you could be a little little cocky. You know, sometimes the army ingrains that in you um, and you always try to be first. And, and you might think that, you know, that your, your competition is is everyone around you, everyone in, in uniform. You're always trying to do better than than, than all of them. Um, so as I. As I graduated from JMU and ROTC and I got back into the active duty force um, and I was starting to be around young, young veterans of, of combat, um, some of the things I, I, I started to notice was, you know, is, you know, the Army is a, is a melting pot, kind of like the U.S. It's a melting pot for all, for, for all types of people from all types of backgrounds and, and that's what makes us great um, and all types of upbringings but then I started to see the effects that combat had on this melting pot of citizens who became soldiers and it it was really I was really you know awestruck just to see these people take an oath and then they go out and they they do they do their their they execute the duties of their profession. Uh, it's not. It's not even a job. It's a profession. Um, so, for example, you know, it, it's often that people will say uh, they ask you if you deployed, and you said yes, uh, and then they say, "Well, thank you for 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 your service." But I, I, I look a little deeper at that when I'm looking at these people. My experiences as I went over there is, you know, you look at like a young kid who's 20. He is married, he might have a young son or, or daughter. So not only did they join the army, they took an oath, uh, they deployed. So that a lot of times when you speak to other people, the conversation can just end there. You deployed and they say, thank you. But there's, there's so much more to it. So they went there, they deployed. Uh, they were able to put their family, um, not forget about them, but put their focus to the side of their family and then put their focus on what what's in front of them and all the people stand to the, to the left and right front and rear. Uh, Cause they're, they're a part of a link in a chain that's pulled, pulled from multiple directions. Um, and they have to perform in, in a way so that their link doesn't break the other links in the chain. So what it mean, what I'm describing is, is like how their selflessness and how they put everything to the side and then do their best in, in that situation to help everyone else out. Uh, and then when you, when you take all that in context and you just look at this person standing in front of you, um, and, and now you're, you're, you're the, the new lieutenants just come out of ROTC 
and now you are responsible and accountable for for this this person. It's not just this; it, it, it's multiple. Then, kind of the enormity of like the GWAT, global war on terror, hits you, and what we've been asked to do on on a routine on a routine basis. Um, and so, I, I think that's probably my long way of describing you know empathy for what our citizens who take the oath to become a soldier um, become and what's entrusted in, in us. It is is humbling because um, they will almost all cases they're, they're going to do what you say. Um, and that's accountability is up to you on the direction, guidance and orders that, that, that come out of your mouth. Um, it's just, it, it's hard to describe in words. Um, but I, I remember, I remember thinking that, um, so it, it affected me in that way. Um, and then going back on another item on that, when I talk about them doing, doing their, the duties of their profession every day. Um, so if we think about, I don't know, say you're pulling up somewhere and you need something doesn't look right. Um, it's just your guts telling you something's wrong. Someone might need to get, someone might need to look at that, whatever we think is wrong at a, at a better angle. It could it could even expose themselves, right, to, to imminent imminent danger. So you know, there's a, there's a piece of valor in there um, that you have to that you have to consider, and that's part of the empathy empathy for me. Um, that the the normal person um, probably doesn't see that, but I would say that 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 you know that's that's uncommon valor that is just tied to the profession. That it's a common attribute for all of these soldiers. They do this every day. Um, you kind of roll all that together. Uh, so that's kind of the, that's kind of one, one side of it uh, that, that I saw. Um, another side was, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we've been trained in the same way to fight for 20 years in my previous experience uh, when I was enlisted before I came in. There was a dramatic shift on that um, from 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 my vantage point, which is which was on the lower level, um, you know, with platoons and companies and, and a battalion, not not strategic at all. Um, and, and the change was is that we weren't able to do the same things anymore. So after the initial invasion to Iraq, we we fought that generally in the same way we we did um, with uh, the uh, Operation Desert Storm. After that, thing, things changed. So we were creating new doctrine, almost in, in stride, new new methods of, of achieving um, our in-state, in stride, and, and how, to, how to get to success. So what this meant was we had a, we had a generation of people, soldiers, who were having to do something new, having to figure out how to, how to, how to fight in a new way. And it was, it was a substantial change because not, not every enemy was in front of you and had a gun. Um, they didn't fight you uh, face, face to face at times. You know, it, it was a dramatic shift. You know, we were trained, you know, to, to be able to identify enemy vehicles, um, to be able to operate 
you know, in, in, with, a, with a large formation of, of friendly vehicles to, to achieve it, the uh, tactical goal. Um, this was different when you think about the way that uh, Al-Qaeda operated in Iraq. And then the dynamics of what I'll call the daytime dynamics of um, their, I'll call it like their, their governance, you know, how, how they kind of operated in, in their, in their tri- almost tribal fashion. Um, and the intricacies between the different sects that they belong to and, and, and how we try to mitigate all that to, to kind of compel them to go towards a, a, a general azimuth. Uh, and then the nighttime, was you know how do we how do we go after those who are actively trying to pursue and kill um, U.S. service members and also um, change change the change the path of success just by uh, terrorist activities, right? So it, it was a dichotomy there that was a lot different. Engaging with those people was something that those people you know the, the the people of Iraq and Afghanistan was was different. Um, so it, it was it was a difficult time to learn that, train it, uh, go through it. Often, you know, we were not often we were we were making up. I want to say making up things. We were refining our procedures uh, in in stride while we we're doing things. They have to have to teach those uh, in stride. And and it at times it, it wasn't we didn't have uh, institutional knowledge on them. It was something we were creating uh, at the moment. That impacted me on, you know, how how do we just how do we figure out complex problems and, and make them simple, right? Because you, you can't be you can't be too risk adverse, or you, you're not going to achieve the goal. Um, you have to you, you have to put yourself out there um, and, and do what it takes to get the job done within you know within within reason, um, and it's not always clean cut. There are shades of there are shades of gray to it, um, and how that affected me was, you know, I was at a lot of the times I was the guy that was trying to define shades of gray, uh, influence our training, um, and then you know giving direction to our to our soldiers on on how we're going to accomplish this, and it was it was not easy. Almost every day was a new thing, um, and you never knew. You never knew what was going to pop up on that day. It could, I mean, it literally could be, could be anything. Um, so I think that made me more open, more dynamic, and it really matured me uh, to a level to where you know we didn't we didn't have a manual for it. So you, you had to pull in, you know, and kind of dissect the the problem, try to figure out how we could fix it together. Um, which was uh, at, at times, you know, different from the army uh, prior to 2000 to 9/11 for uh, for tra- traditional forces, because uh, we, we kind of had a manual on, on almost everything. Uh, it was really how your method of employment of the manual, as it described to you, was really the art. Now the art was a lot, a lot different. Um, and, you know, this is uh, this might be a, a call out for anybody who listens, but one way it personally affected me um, was uh, PTSD. Um, and this is um, I didn't 
um, and I guess I, I want to qualify this, you know, this isn't, I don't want to use this to talk about me. I want to use this for just kind of exposure of, of what it is and, and what it can do um, as, as best I can. Yeah, just by the chance one person hears this. So um, I didn't, I didn't know I had it. Uh, I didn't get diagnosed with it until 2018. And, you know, they think I probably had it for about 15 years, uh, 15, 13, 13 years. Um, and I had no idea what was wrong. I, I literally thought I was losing my intellect and I couldn't figure out why. And the reason why was I was having to read emails like three or four times. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't relax. Um, things would set me off maybe, you know, simple procedural things, but it might be procedural, but it might affect the person that's, that you don't know who's, who's waiting for that to be done. Uh, there were just like trigger things like, like that, that I had zero, zero tolerance for. And then you kind of combine all that together and it, it really makes you question like, like your, your legitimacy as, as a person, as you used to know yourself. Um, and I've struggled with this, you know, I didn't say, you know, I had bouts where I, I've struggled with, with alcohol, you know, alcohol is anesthetic. So it numbs. Right. So you just kind of think of it in that mind frame. Yeah. Yeah. It, it absolutely numb things. Um, I even went as far as to read a bunch of books on like how we create habits, how synapses work, um, why it's better to create a new habit instead of breaking an old one, just like how we learn to try and fix this thing. And like I was at my wits end. I, I couldn't think of anything. Um, and finally, I went and saw someone. And within like five minutes, she said, you have PTSD. And I, I told her I didn't believe her. Um, I, it was something else. Um, after about eight or nine months, I was finally convinced after she explained to me like how the different systems in the brain work, what flight or flight does, how PTSD is embedded in, in that system of the brain and, and, and how, how it affects you from really having, I'll say like system two, the deeper thought, right? those deep cognitive thoughts, how you like figure out things really get hard. Um, and I've, I've reached a steady state now where I understand it, you know, um, I'm doing fine. Um, it took, it takes medication and all that was through me going out and getting help, which was the hardest thing, the absolute hardest thing. Um, and it was affecting my family uh, as, as well, uh, which was uh, it's one of the deepest, deepest regrets. Um, so I hope this wasn't uh, too, too long or um, try to like suck everybody's emotion away. But uh, I just somebody hears it like I want I want them to get help. If there's something you can't put your thumb on, that's that's not right. Um, and you're hearing it from other people. Um you know, trust, trust the people when they tell you that something's wrong, you know, put your, put your ego to the side. Um, you're, you're not bulletproof and especially, you know, the, the mind, which can be like an intangible at times, right? Cause you can't, you can't feel it. You can't touch it. You think thoughts are might be squishy. It's hard to objectify them. Um, but yeah, it's real. Just, just go out there and, 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 and you can get, you can get better. Sean, we really appreciate you opening up and, and sharing and, and 
I think it's really important to really help others. Um, as I mean, it, it's really important that you share because it will help others as they sort of navigate their experiences. So thank you so much for for sharing that. What do you want the public to appreciate about the United States' military response to September 11th, 2001, that are lacking in mainstream media narratives? So I will say uh, uh, the, the first thing would be that the, you know, kind of the crucible we went through by the September 11th attacks um, is, is not an uncommon way of thinking for our adversaries. And uh, a little bit deeper in that, so a crucible, you know, is like a, a unifying event that makes the the cohort struggle to unifying goal, which basically achieves, you know, cohesion. That's kind of the way I think of a crucible. And if you remember after September 11, like America came together, right? Remember the flags, uh, we were focused. If you go even further back in our history, you remember Pearl Harbor, right? When they, the office categorizes people as the greatest generation. Uh, my grandfather was one of those. Um, that was a crucible where, where we all got, we were all behind the same goal. Um, so in saying that, we experienced September 11th as a, as a crucible. And now I'm saying that that result, the thinking that, that gave us that result from, from uh, adversaries of the U.S. is not uncommon. Right now, there is a large number of people training, thinking, trying to understand ways that they can hurt impact the U.S. way of life. It is just a fact of life. And these people will go up until giving their life, and it's not for success, it's for the chance of success to affect us. Um, and that that is a fact in the world that we live in. Um, so these aren't isolated. There are a lot of things that happen that we don't know about. There are a lot of close calls, um, and it is it is it happens everywhere uh, around around the world. Um, so that is, that is something that I, I think, um, we don't get a lot in mainstream, you know, media, but it's, it's factual. It happens, it happens all, all the time. And they, somebody's doing it harder than, than us right now. I guarantee you. So we have to stay, we have to stay ahead of them. And we have our people who have dedicated their, their lives to profession to staying ahead of them. Um, so and when I talk about dedicating their lives to the profession, there's there's like three components of it for me, and I'm 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 stealing this from a book I read, um, but it goes in, in order: the mission, the men, and me. Um, so here's what I mean about those people who dedicate their lives to to maintaining um, the 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 freedom and the liberties we have in, in the U.S. Um, they put everything. For, for the mission. And, and that's the common goal, the greater good. And the greater good is the United States of America. So it, it, whatever their mission is that feeds into that, that's number one. The men, so this soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, women or men. So it's, 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 it's the care uh, of those warfighters. They do whatever within their capacity to, to care for those. And that's even, that's even if they have to put their, their life in danger to do that. Um, that's just that what that's one of the, the noble 
the noble areas within our profession that just makes us better. Um, we will do whatever it takes. Um, and that's to include risking your life to, um, to go get the remains of a soldier who is deceased in combat. We will do that as well. We are different. Um, and then me. So you're last. There's no I anymore. Um, you know, my, I, I told myself a long time ago that, um, for example, and I'm sorry to use the word I, but the difference between, between being, oh, between being hurt and injured, uh, was with, if I couldn't physically do the act anymore, like that's, what's different. You know, everything else is to, to decide. And like, if I can't do anymore, I better go get fixed. Um, and that's also, I could support the other two things, you know, the mission and, and the warfighters. Um, so th those are the people, uh, that do this, that, that, that I think those types of conversations or that detail is, is sometimes missed in the mainstream uh, media. And that also goes for our first responders, uh, as well, you know, which I think, especially in recent times, I think has been clouded. Um, but if you think about it on your worst day that you can imagine, and you're out here, who do you call? And what do you expect of them? And you expect of them to be insulated of their own personal ideals to do what's right for you. So essentially, that is the mission, the men and me, when we talk about our first responders too. And that's why they're considered a profession and, and not a job as well. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a clean distinction between those two terms. Um, and then... When I say all that, how does this relate back to being a citizen um, in in the United States? Um, those what I, those I'll say ethics. The ethic of what I just described is what allows us to be a citizen uh, in the United States, and it and affords us, you know, our our liberties, um, which is if you did a comparison to some of these other countries. Um, it's, it's uncommon, right? So America is an experiment. Um, I stole that term from somebody much smarter than me, but it's an experiment, right? And we have to nurture it. We have to cultivate it. We have to keep it going. Um, and I, I think that that's missing, uh, as well. And, you know, so, so to describe what happens in some of these places, there are people where there are places where just because of, the religion or sect you are born into, so you had no choice on it, right? You didn't make any active decisions. Just because of that, you know, they, they look at they look at genocide as, as a meaningful way to progress their their aims, right? It's true, it happens, right? That that's that's what makes us great. So, you know, ha having that being able to look at it like through that lens and and, and compare another place to two hours. Um, I think that's missing too, right? Cause that's, that's extremely grounding, right? Um, people who had no choice, right? They didn't make any decision. Like why should, why should something negative happen to them like that? You know? Um, so I guess those are my, those are my thoughts on the mainstream, uh, uh narratives. Sean, we, we believe that democracy requires shared sacrifice and gratitude to those who have sacrificed and want to thank you for the sacrifices that you have made. 
And while we recognize the fundamental reality that sacrifice is an unequal burden, we want to ask you what advice you have for individuals who have not served in the military for how they can contribute to strengthening democracy. So first would be, uh, I think if you, if you're questioning what it means is, you know, go back to some of those earlier examples, you know, like what it means to, 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 to have, to have liberty, um, what it looks like in other countries, maybe just like do 10 minutes and like, look at that. Um, if you're ever questioning it, I don't think a lot of people do, but to me that was grounding and I needed to see this stuff to really appreciate it. You know, it's probably cause, uh, uh, I'm not as sharp as a lot of the other people I work for, but I'm glad I was surrounded by smarter people than me who taught me good things. Um, and um, preserving uh, democracy. So how do we maintain uh, what we have today? You know, I think it's, I think it's by educating yourself and getting out there and voting, you know, and, 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 and taking, taking your stance because ultimately it, it is us who, choose the people to represent us. Um, and it's, it's up to us to, to, to pick the best, to pick the best person um, uh, to, to do that. And that's what, that's what I really think it, it is great about, about us. Even, um, even if you look at the Supreme court, you know, they do it for a lifetime, right? And it's that insulation fact that they do for a lifetime to, to, to remove them from the, from the, from the different political parties' views. Um, so picking the people who pick the right Supreme Court justices for the things that you believe in, um, that I, I believe in that. So just being a, 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 an, active, an active citizen. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednickus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu slash civic. Until next time.